I have a word tonight that God put on my heart. If you want to stand with me in honor of God's word, look at Matthew 18, 19. These verses should be familiar to you. It says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I'm there among them. Father in heaven, there is something about believers gathering that ushers your presence in. You promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. The church is unlike any other people group on the face of the earth because of your presence in their midst. And so, Father God, I ask that your word would come to life. Father, that we would feel encouraged not only to gather, but we would know why we gather and the power that there is in gathering. Father, speak to us from your word tonight as it has come carrying and it never returns back to you void or empty, but it, its purpose is accomplished. That for which you sent it is accomplished in each and every heart and life. Father, we ask this, we pray tonight in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You can be seated. Tuesday morning, I, you know, messages come to me in, 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 a, in a bunch of different ways. They're, they're triggered as I'm reading the word. I could be reading a book and a thought could, could come to me. Um, Tuesday morning, I wake up and I had two dominant thoughts that I just couldn't, I couldn't shake. And they didn't necessarily seem all that connected in the beginning. And then as I began to pray about it and as I began to, to go with it, um, I saw how they connected and it's where this message came from. Uh, one thought was something that Corey said Sunday night and if you were here, you were blessed. What a great message that was on Thanksgiving. And another thing was, uh, from a book of uh, Pastor Brian Houston, Hill Songs in Australia. He wrote the book, Live, Love, Lead. And he said something in the book. And th those two things, what Corey said and what I read in the book, I could not get it out of my head. And so instead of fighting it, I learned a long time ago that you'll roll with it. And as I did, this message came out. I knew the Holy Spirit was connecting them for a reason. So the title of my message is the power of gathering. In his book, Live, Love, Lead, Pastor Brian Houston says of the verses that we read tonight, Matthew 18, 19, and 20, he writes, it's interesting to me that this verse speaks of two agreeing, but three gathering. Obviously, the more people that gather, the more difficult agreement becomes. When there's a crowd, we may agree on some things, but we're not gonna agree on everything. When you begin factoring in each of our individual backgrounds, special interests, and personal agendas, it's amazing how much we can disagree on. I believe that our fellowship with one another cannot be based merely on agreement. It must be based on Jesus and on the love that he so readily gives to each and every person who calls on his name. Isn't that good? So when we gather together, agreement's not always going to be reached, but Jesus can be. And I think sometimes people have based their reason for gathering on whether or not there's going to be ample agreement. And I'm going to tell you that should never be the basis for gathering. The reason for gathering should be because Jesus is going to be there. 
And we're not always going to reach an agreement, but we can always reach Jesus. And if that's your goal, you'll never walk away empty. You'll never walk away less than satisfied if you've come for Jesus. I think about when I was a young Christian, I came to church and I didn't have anybody other than my brother and my sister-in-law that I knew. And I just came to church because I knew I needed to be there. I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I just came there because I felt God's presence. Honest, if you're going to ask me to strip it down to, to why I, I came, because I felt God's presence. And it just always, I, I, it was kind of like a kid at Christmas kind of a moment. Oh my gosh, again. And because I came out of a partying lifestyle where I was used to highs, the presence of God became kind of like a high to me, and I began to get addicted to Jesus. Right or wrong, that's why I came, because I could feel the, the manifested presence of God, and I knew that it was God. And every time, it never ceased to amaze me. Every time, it never ceased to, to blow me away. That's why I came. I came for Jesus. In fact, if we demand agreement as a basis for gathering, it probably revolves more around us than Jesus, if we're being honest. If we demand on agreement, then all of a sudden the service and all of a sudden the ebb and the flow, the way things are done at the church, need to be done to our liking. And then we get some people into agreement with us, and uh, don't you agree it should be like this? Don't you agree it should be like that? Instead of we're pursuing Jesus, there's always agreement. There's always agreement. But when you're pursuing things with people, you can't always be promised agreement. And so I want to mess with this tonight. Because wanting agreement on all sides is lofty, but an agreement in Jesus is essential. Wanting agreement on all sides with people, it's a pretty lofty goal. But an agreement with Jesus, that's a non-negotiable, that's essential. That's essential. So are you with me so far? Let's look at a couple verses. Look at Isaiah 55. I love Isaiah 55. Look at Isaiah 55. This is a great chapter to read. Isaiah 55.1 says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Take, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Look at Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13, a verse you're probably familiar with. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you notice the words like anyone and, and everyone? Think of Hebrews 11. Verse 6 says, anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Or whoever comes to him must believe that he is. Notice how it's, it's offered to all. What Jesus offers, he offers to, to all. But we, in our humanness, we're always looking to find an agreement with some. But what God offers, he offers to all. The emphasis and focus of healthy spiritual gathering is always and forever going to be Jesus. And as soon as it is no longer about Jesus as the reason why we gather, then we begin to get off. 
and we, be, we begin to slip and we begin to fade into factions and it's an us and it's a them and we're trying to bring people into our corner. We don't want to bring people into our corner. Our corner leads no one anywhere. We want to bring people into Jesus's corner. That's what we want to do. We always and forever want to be leading people to Jesus. We don't want to lead them or to us. Where are we going to take them? Where, where are you going to take anyone? I mean, it's great to be needed and it's great to be loved, but where in the world could you possibly take anyone? I mean, how wonderful are you? As soon as anybody starts drawing a little bit too much from me, I'm thinking, hey, 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 you need to go to Jesus with this. What's the Lord telling you? Why are you always wondering what I've got for you? Why don't you want to know what God's got for you? And why do I always got to do the work that you should be doing for you? Why do I got to do that? You do that. Let's get together. You talk about what God's been telling you, and now we're going to pray about what God's been telling you. Notice the power that's there. You're already dealing with a submitted and a surrendered heart. Now you're coming into an agreement and prayer. Powerful stuff. Corey's message Sunday night on Thanksgiving, he mentioned something that it, it messed with me, and I couldn't get it out. He talked about how the root of the very word thanksgiving is, is based in grace. That the very root form of it is, is grace. I could not get that out of my head. It just, it was gnawing away at me. It was gnawing away like any truth will gnaw away at you. So follow my train of thought. If thanksgiving is rooted in grace and we all gather together traditionally for Thanksgiving, then grace is essential for gathering together. Let me know if I lost you there. If Thanksgiving is rooted in grace, and we all gather together traditionally for Thanksgiving, and I know that I'm taking a biblical term and I'm taking an American holiday, I get that. And I'll acknowledge that. But grace is essential for gathering together. It has to be. How is it that we'll gather together with family and friends tomorrow and share a meal with people that we're not in complete agreement with? It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. If you study it out, I believe you'd be shocked at what's rooted in grace. From thanksgiving to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, grace is charis. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the charismata, it's where we get charismatic from. It's all rooted in grace. The gifts of the Holy Spirit should be ministered with grace. Thanksgiving is rooted in grace. It's all rooted in grace. Tying in last week's message, it's for that reason that I believe so strongly in God-given authority and leadership. Someone has to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and moving forward. Someone has to be able to discern the difference between disagreement and divisiveness. Because there's a world of difference between saying, you know what, I wouldn't do it that way, but I'm not calling the shots. And you know what, I don't like the way that you're doing that, and I don't want to be a part. And I think that it should be done like this. See, there's a difference. There's a difference. There's diversity and unity, but there's not division. Let me say that again. There's diversity and unity, but there's not division. 
I have no problem with diversity. I have no problem with disagreement. I do have a problem with division. I do have a problem with divisiveness. And as soon as I sense that things have become a little bit divisive, my hackles begin to go up. I struggle with it. I struggle with somebody drawing a line and, and, and dividing sides. Scripture says, is Christ divided? If Christ isn't divided, then why should the body of Christ be divided? I'm telling you, Jesus isn't dividing his body. He doesn't want his body divided. It's one body. So anything that would divide the body of Christ doesn't have the heart of God on it at all. And it'll soon fizzle and it'll soon fade. But what I always struggle with are all the casualties. All the roadkill that are left in the wake of that division and that divisiveness and those people that were trying to draw into a corner. There's always going to be diversity and unity. I mean, look around at all the different kinds of people there are. But there should not be. Or there, there's always going to be diversity and unity, but there should not be division and, and unity. And so I want to kind of chomp away at that a little bit, and I think that we're going to arrive at a healthy, at a healthy place. So back to our text. In its context, it's saying that all you need are two to pray to the Father. So prayer doesn't require a gathering, but a gathering might require prayer. All you need are two to pray to the Father. It's all that you need. It's for that reason I believe that the most effective prayer groups are typically small. I can remember telling my mother-in-law that I wanted to have a tithe for every hundred people. I wanted ten intercessors, and she looked at me with, you know, as much, you know, grace and gentleness as she could, and she said, Johnny, she said, if you have four or five that will be committed to pray, she says, you're doing good. I've attended a large church for years, and we always had about four or five that were committed to pray. There weren't times that we didn't have larger groups, but the majority of the time, week in and week out, there were four or five of us committed to pray. Why? Because it was a lot easier to get four or five people to agree on something than it was a large crowd that you were hoping. You have no idea how powerful it was for someone like Charles Spurgeon to have like 100 people that would regularly pray. That when they came to find out the secret of his ministry's success, he said, do you want to see the furnace that drives this ministry? The reporter said, I would. He brought them downstairs to the basement of the church, and there were about 100 people praying there. I'm telling you, if you've got that kind of prayer going on in the church, you've got revival already. No wonder why God used that man mightily, and he knew it. You want to see the furnace of the ministry? And all those people were praying down there. You get a group of people that will pray, you got powerful things happening, powerful things happening. To be honest, every time that we've attempted to establish a large prayer group, it was always met with opposition and opinion. We think it should be like this. We think it should be like that. I got one camp over here that is word of faith in it, and they're telling angels to go get them stuff. And I got another camp over here that wants to pray nothing but the scriptures. And I've got another camp over here that wants to, and it was just the craziest doggone thing. And so I just told um, our elders that were over prayer, you get a group of people that you can pray and that you can agree with, and I'm good with it. I don't care if there's three. I don't care if there's four. I don't care if there's five. I just wanted people to pray. Pastor, I want to do it like this. Pastor, I want to do it like that. Pastor, I want to... I mean, it was the craziest thing in the world. No wonder why the Apostle James says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, not a righteous group. 
We always want it to be about numbers. I don't know. I think if, if numbers are what you're after, you might have to compromise on some things. No wonder why the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind to where there was 120 that had been in one accord and praying for nine days. Keep in mind, they started with 500, and they got down to 120. And how powerful that must have been for those 120 to be in one place in one accord praying. No wonder why the Holy Spirit came and moved like he did. I believe the difference between healthy and unhealthy, the healthy gather in Jesus' name with grace for all who come. The unhealthy gather only if the people and the conditions are right with them. I believe God's grace isn't given so that things are made right with us. God's grace is given so that things are made right with God. And how can people be made right with God if they're not allowed to gather with us? And how can people gather with us if we have no grace for them to do so? And so let's look at Romans 3. Is this all right? sure feels good to me. So Romans 3. You guys are quiet on me tonight. So let's look at Romans 3.22. It says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Look at this again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Let's go cow tipping a little bit. You place your faith anywhere other than Jesus Christ, and I cannot promise you that it's gonna be it's gonna make you right with God. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are made right with God. Well, Pastor John, what if you're a little bit off? Come back to Jesus. How hard is it? This is not rocket science, church. And it, and it was never meant to be. Jesus didn't die on the cross and say, Father, let's make it complicated for him. Let's make it difficult. Mm -mm. Anytime you're off, come back to Jesus. Even if it's just a little bit, come back to Jesus. As soon as your heart begins to stray, come back to Jesus. Because it's when you come back to Jesus that you are then made right with God again. And I'm not saying that you have to get saved all over again. Sometimes it's just a simple matter of repentance. Oh, my pride. Oh, my selfishness. I was beginning to place my faith in this, and I was beginning to place my faith in that. I was beginning to place my faith in a person. I was beginning to place my faith in an institution. I was beginning to place my faith in a move of God instead of God himself. And it can be so subtle and it can be so slight. I've said it before. What if I had a piece of the cross that Jesus died on? Would our faith then be in that cross, that chunk of wood? I mean, would people just line up so they could come and touch it and think that there would be some special power associated with that cross? I mean, after all, Jesus died in that cross and shed his blood in that cross. Would the focus then be the priest of you got to go to restore church. Pastor John's got a piece of the cross that Jesus died on. you got to go. It's amazing. He's got it behind glass. It's in the front of the church. Absolutely amazing. He'll let you touch it for 50 bucks. He'll let you touch it. Pay the church off in a week. People will come for miles just to touch a piece of the wood. I'm not placing my faith. I'm not placing my faith in the cross that Jesus died on. I'm not placing my faith in the empty tomb that he came out of. I'm not placing my faith in the shroud that covered him with his image on it. 
I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ because it's only when I place my faith in Jesus Christ and I'm made right with God. Anything else, you're not made right with God. You're superstitious at best. You're religious. And we've got to get all of that stuff out of the way and we've got to bring back We've got to bring back the simplicity of the gospel, which revolves around Jesus Christ. The gospel, in its essence, is that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and was seen by over 500 people in his resurrected state. That's what it's about. And we get weird when it's not about Jesus anymore. We just get weird. And I don't want to be weird. I was weird before I came to Jesus, and I don't want to be weird now that I am. And you know what? The world doesn't see, need to see a bunch of weirdness. They need to see a bunch of people that have been made right with God by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what you need to tell them. It's not because I've been working so hard to get my act together. It's Jesus got my act together for me. I came to him. My life was made right with God. And all of a sudden, I entered into a process that began at salvation and is called sanctification and is going to continue until I see him face to face. And we must embrace the process. And we must continually come to Jesus again and again and again, not to be saved, but to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, then we keep coming to him, and we never stop coming to him, and we never stop being dependent upon him. If he is the author and the finisher, if you don't want to finish with him and you only wanted to start with him, well, I can't promise where you're going to end up. And I've seen people get in some weird places when they began one way and they tried to finish another. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that church, and I don't want to go to a church that's like that. And yet the church feels pressure to compete with the world and all that it offers, so it's trying to come up with a new this or a new that or a, okay, the message shouldn't change. Maybe the methods do, but it's always about Jesus Christ, and it'll always be about Jesus Christ. And if we're not preaching Jesus, then what in the heck are we preaching? And if we're not preaching Jesus, then is anybody's life being made right with God? I don't know about you, but I came to Jesus I came to Jesus. Think back to what your life was like before Jesus. Whether it was this church or another, you were received with grace. And I, I, I'll tell you right now, God is my witness. I can remember the clothes that I was wearing when I got saved. And I had a burgundy sweater. I had gray pants on. And I'll never forget it because that burgundy sweater was a, was a wool sweater and it got thrown in a dryer and it got all messed up, but it was my best sweater, so I wore it anyway. I'll never forget where, and that sweater was a, like a picture of my life. I mean, it was just all kind of messed up. I'm just kind of been beaten up. Yet I didn't care. I, 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 it, it really didn't matter to me. I just wanted a little bit more of what I began to feel. Almost like there was a fear that it was going to somehow run out. But it never did run out. And now 30-something years later, see, Paul told the Galatians that they were foolish because they began in the spirit and they were now trying to finish in the flesh. And you ever notice how the devil will try to throw you curves to get you away from Jesus and your eyes off of Jesus so that you can turn it into some flake? And then you get years down the road and you're, you're scrambling. Man, I used to go, 
I used to go to, man, I used to be in love with Jesus. I, I was once, a, I was once a, a leader. I taught Sunday school. I, I had a home group. I, I ministered to the youth. I ministered to the children. I, I was a part of a men's ministry. I was a part of a women's ministry. I was, how is it that people can be so involved in going so strong and then all of a sudden it gets so weird because it ceased being about Jesus? And it got to be about what they were doing or what somebody else was doing. Or It's got to revolve around Jesus Christ. And you guys, if you will see to it that your focus is Jesus Christ, the promises throughout Scripture are amazing. Even promises like Isaiah 26, verse 3. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. See, what we want to do is we want to come to church and we don't want to leave because of what we feel here. Even Moses was afraid to leave the burning bush. Who shall I say sent me? You tell him the I am sent you. Tell him the great I am sent you. What kind of answer is, is that? I think God was getting a little bit irritated that Moses was experiencing this phenomenon as a bush burning and not being consumed and yet was still struggling to do what God was telling him to do even though he's speaking to him out of a burning bush. That would have been good enough for me. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not Moses. I didn't have to face the fears that he did back in Egypt. But there's something about God speaking to you out of a place of fire that should change you. But you've got to be willing to be close enough to the flames. In Exodus 3, Moses said, I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to see this great sight. And as soon as he did so, God spoke to him. You've got to turn to Jesus before Jesus can speak to you. And then as soon as he did, and we know, and it's supported that it was Jesus Christ, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. Take off your sands, for, your sandals for where you stand. It's holy ground. But Moses had to turn aside. And I would dare say that many people have not had an experience with Jesus Christ because they haven't even turned aside long enough to go after him. And the promises of God are clear. You draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And he can and he will make your life right. He didn't just make my life right because I was going to be a minister one day. I turned aside and I wanted to know. Is this, is this real? I want to know if this is real. And then I came back again. And I think we should keep coming back to that burning bush that God spoke to us out of. I think we should keep coming back to Jesus again and again and again and again. You know what I've discovered about the church? And I think many people miss it here. I've discovered about the church that it was never, ever trying to prove a point. It was trying to prove a person. And that person's Jesus Christ. The church was never trying to prove a point to me. I discovered it was always trying to reveal a person. If the church is doing its job, it's revealing Jesus to you. Again and again and again. Whether it's sitting under anointed worship as Corbin was leading us tonight and you felt the presence of God. Whether it's God revealing himself to you as we're looking at the word tonight. It's never about a point getting across. It's about a person getting across to you. It's never about a point being driven home for you. It's about a person getting to your heart. That's what it's about. It's not about a, a point that just worked its way into your heart. It's about a truth in the form of a person, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So if I am following Jesus, and he is who he said he is, the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, then I cannot get lost, I cannot be deceived, and I cannot be killed, because he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And I am guaranteed that I am going to see the Father. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. So if I am going through Jesus, I'm going to see the Father. And for the believer, Scripture is clear. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm going to say this. It isn't about everybody that you're irritated with. It's not about all the things that the church has done wrong. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. And so let's get back to Jesus Christ. Because when we gather together in his name, there he is in our midst. Let me read this to you again where we started off. And it should even be a little bit more powerful now as we've looked at it. We out there okay? All right. I'm a little further away from you than I used to. Jesus speaking. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, Jesus says, I am there among them. I am there among them. Two or three gather together as my followers. I'm there, and I am among them. So tonight, we've gathered in the name of Jesus, and he's here among us because his word promises that. He's here among us. And I don't know about you, but that's all I need to know as a reason for why I should come to church because if I get together with two or more believers, two or more followers of Jesus, he's going to be there. And his presence is a difference maker. And at any given time, you can get set free and you can get delivered. And those people that you've been praying for for a long time, they can get saved at any given time. Why? Because Jesus is there. And wherever Jesus is, stuff happens. Because wherever the king is, there's the kingdom, and Jesus is the king. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has come near you right now. Don't you know it? Scripture says the kingdom of heaven is within you. Why? Because wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. So in the presence of God tonight, we've experienced the kingdom of God touching earth. Is it a full and a complete kingdom of God? No. We experience the kingdom of God in some form here and then not completely yet. The way it'll be one day. Not in its totality, just like you and I aren't experiencing our bodies the way that they'll be one day after they're changed in the twinkling of an eye. But do you notice how it all revolves around Jesus Christ? Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. Anytime I get into like some kind of spiritual debate with somebody, maybe they've got a belief system that you know isn't completely compatible with Christianity, I always say, who's Jesus? Tell me about Jesus. Who do you think Jesus is? I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Everything that I believe revolves around Jesus Christ. Every stinking thing that I believe revolves around Jesus Christ. From the day that I worship on, I worship on Sunday because Jesus came out of the grave, out of the tomb on Sunday. That's why I meet on Sunday. Everything that I believe. Who's Jesus to you? I don't want to talk about all the other stuff. 
I don't want to talk about if I go to war and there's a Christian and the opposing army that I'd be battling against another believer in Jesus. Why would I do that? I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk, who's Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Isn't it amazing that's what Jesus said? Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Well, you're, you're the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. God was revealing Jesus to them when Jesus was walking among them, and God is revealing Jesus to us today as he's walking in our midst still. Always revealing. Always revealing. The reason why Jesus doesn't get revealed, the reason why another facet of Jesus Christ isn't seen is because we are not pursuing him. We're pursuing something. We're pursuing some kind of, of an ideal here. We're pursuing this or we're pursuing that. You pursue Jesus Christ and God will reveal to him. He'll reveal to him, him to you more and more and more. And see, that's what we're after. We're after more of Jesus. That's what you want. You came tonight for more of Jesus. You came tonight for more of Jesus. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why we're all here. I want to close with Romans 8. It says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Once you're a believer, there's not any condemnation anymore. Nobody's condemning you. Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. And all conviction is, is a loving correction from the Holy Spirit. He said, ah, ah, condemning you, uh-uh, convicting you, yeah. Well, his conviction might feel like condemnation, well, because you don't like being corrected. And you don't like being adjusted. But when God tells us we're wrong and when we're off, he always does it with so much love that we feel like we're getting spanked and hugged all at the same time. We feel like we're getting swatted and kissed all at the same time. And you belong to Jesus now. Nobody's condemning you. You can be challenged. You can be convicted. But nobody's condemning you. Shame, guilt, that's not a part of Jesus. It's not a part of the body of Christ. It's not some means that God would use to motivate you. God's not heaping shame on you and guilt on you. God's not condemning you because of your past. He's freed you from your past. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And sometimes we come out of such a dark past and such a confusing past that we struggle with newness. We struggle with whether we really, really are accepted into the beloved. That God would really, really do that for us because we've done some bad things and said some bad things. And ah, I don't know, Pastor John, I, that might be a stretch. Yeah, Jesus did stretch for people just like you and for people just like me. Nobody's perfect. 
but whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. If anyone be in Christ. Always goes out to anyone and everyone. Anyone and everyone. Tomorrow as we gather with family and friends, there might not be agreement, but there's nothing like being together with family, is there? And be honest, some of the most irritating family members, you wouldn't have a gathering without them. Celebrate difference and celebrate diversity. I don't tolerate division, but I'm not afraid of diversity. I'm not afraid of disagreeing with somebody, but I struggle with people that are disagreeable. See the difference. When we gather, we might not all be in agreement. I don't know if God expects us to always be in agreement. But can I just ask this as a body of believers? If we disagree, can we still keep moving forward even though we're disagreeing? Can we still have all of our eyes on Jesus for the most part? And I know this. I know that if our eyes are on Jesus, that whatever we face, man, it's all going to work out. Because all things work for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I'm not trying to win people to my purpose. I want them to know God's purpose for their life. I don't want to be right. I want God to be right. I don't have a problem with people saying, Pastor John, I don't know, you know, you said or you used it. Okay, sure. But man, what did God tell you? And better yet, what does God want of you? See, Christian maturity is to go from attending church to being the church. Christian maturity is going from coming to church to get something to going to church to get equipped to give something. And I want to challenge you. Tomorrow, what if there's a family member that's on your heart? Christmas, what if God would speak to you? Ask you to give a little bit over, above, and beyond. I don't think there's any more gorgeous time of the year than the one we're in right now. I absolutely love it. And I always struggle with a little bit of a letdown when it's come and gone. And all we have is winter. But I love every snowflake that comes this time of the year. There's just something beautiful about it. And this Christmas that we celebrate, it revolves around Jesus Christ. It's all about the incarnation, God becoming man. I want to pray with you before we leave. Tonight, we go our ways, we go back to our homes or somewhere.